We're passionate about bringing business leaders the insights you need to keep doing great work. And so are our friends at Belay. Belay is an incredible 100% remote organization revolutionizing productivity with virtual assistants, bookkeepers, social media managers, and their podcast, One Next Step, is so full of practical tips and actionable tools to help you run your business so it stops running you. Find them at onenextsteppodcast.com or subscribe in the Apple Podcast app today. Now, let's dive into today's conversation. Welcome to System and Soul, the podcast focused on the human energy that runs your business. I'm Chris White, along with my co-host, Benj Miller. All right, you guys ready? Here we go. Jake, drop that beat. Three, two, one. System and Soulville, we have a fast-paced treat for you today. Coming back with my boy, my friend, longtime colleague, and he's been on the show once before, Clay Scroggins. And man, today, I'm telling you, we go fast-paced. We, we rip through this thing. But the three things we're pulling out here is the power of the invitation that you give when you say, I don't know. I love this conversation. So fun, so strong. Uh, the second one, uh, Clay advocates that while we talk about getting the right people on the bus, we need to invite a few people who feel like the wrong people. Um, super interesting. And he leaves us with a challenge on that one that I think we can all use and all look at. Uh, and the third, man, I don't even know how to title this bad boy, but we talk about conflict and uh, how it's changing, how it's changing and how we deal with it's changing because people are not as uh, uh, able to handle conflict as they once were. So what do we do? How do we approach people that maybe shrivel up and, and uh, don't know how to handle the conflict or the feedback? So, so good. There's so much packed in here. I think you're going to like it. Here we go. System and Soul, welcome back. We've got a fun one today, my friend, and a repeat guest, but it's been a long time. Clay, Scrog Dog, Scroggins, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Ben. So glad to be back. Excited to see all that's happening with System and Soul. Stack. Oh, yeah. Hey, I was I was actually telling somebody about it yesterday. I was talking to a guy who's like a I think he's a giant certified consultant or yeah. something. And I was just trying to understand more of what he does. And I was like, well, uh, you know, are you familiar with, you know, the, the different, different ways to create systems for your teams? And he said, yeah, yeah, for sure. And he named some different things. And I said, well, my buddy created this thing called system and soul that, and he goes, Ooh, I like that. <laughs> I was like, that's cool that he just resonated that quickly. I hope that that's happening a lot. It is happening a lot. And, and I, what I love about it is not that everybody resonates with it like that, yeah. but the people that do, it's it's a strong magnetism. And the people that don't, that's fine. You're probably not our people. That's okay. So uh, it, it gives a little bit of a self-ascribed tribe just by just by that name and the ethos there. That's really good. Appreciate that. Hey, you got a new book out. Yes, I do. Tell me about it. The, the Aspiring Leader's Guide to the Future. Uh, I started... 
um, I, I, I had done two books with uh, the publisher that I've been working with. The first book did really well. The second book did not do great. And so this third book was, you know, I was like, oh, I, I got to do well on this one. And um, I didn't really have an idea. I went to the publisher. I said, hey, at what point can I just say, let's do a deal and I'll figure out what the topic's going to be. And they said, ah, we're, we're not there. You're not there yet. <laughs> and I was like, okay, <laughs> rude, but okay. So anyway, I, um, yeah, it was one of those, I'd, I'd never done this before, but I picked this topic. I, I had never talked about it. I had never, sp I hadn't spent a lot of time thinking about it, but I, you know, I picked the topic. I want to talk about the future of leadership and signed the deal with them. And then I had, you know, about, about 12 months to research this topic and try to put some energy and effort in and trying to figure out what is the future of leadership because it's clearly that. changing. But the question I, it was is just a how? research project that you wanted to do. That's right. That's right. That's it. All right. We're going to get yeah. into that in a minute. I, I, I love that you just told us like the second book, mm, not so great. <laughs> yeah. Well, in yeah. your, in your perspective, was the first one that much better than the second one? I didn't feel like the writing was, and I didn't feel like the content was, but I mean, this is something, I mean, this is not, I don't know how relevant this would be for people that are listening to this today, but, um, who cares? It's you there, and me. There was a day where content was king. This is what the people in publishing have told me that if the book was really good, if it was rich, if it was solid, if it had something to say, it would sell. And if it didn't, it wouldn't. But now, I don't know, I guess because of the way digital marketing has changed, the way people are buying books has changed, the way people are consuming content has changed, it's less about the quality of the content and it's more about the topic, the title, the book cover, um, does it hit a felt need? So I don't think the content was that much worse. I just think the title did not hook people. It did not create this instinctual felt need that, or it, it didn't speak to an instinctual felt yeah. need. Yeah. More people weren't ready to deal with the topic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you were helpful in it at one point. Cause I was telling you about, I was, you know, bitching and moaning about how it wasn't selling well. And you said, well, I think part of it is people see that title. The title was how to lead in a world of distraction. And they think, okay, I get it. I need to put my phone down, but I don't yeah. necessarily want to do that. Right. Right. I know what I should and do. Not what I want. Exactly. To. Exactly. And, and that, know, here's, that's not here's even the really other problem. Here's the other problem is your three books are in every airport in America, but they're all three next to each other. So it may not be that it's bad. It might be that there's two great books on either side of it. And I'm going to go with the latest one or that first one really resonates. There is an audience for that first that's one. True. That's true. very well, clear. So I hope so. I do. All right, so. man. So you boiled this, this futuristic leadership down to nine things that you saw coming, but as you know, on the podcast, we're going with your top three. So talk us through the top three ways that you see leadership changing. Great. Number one, uh, you do not have to know it all in order to lead. So there's this, um, there's this bias that we all have. Um, there's a professor at University of Michigan, uh, Dave Meyer, uh, or Mayer is his name, who he, he created, or at least he's the one who published about this philosophy of this uh, bias around leadership that if I say to you, binge, describe a leader, you have things that you would say, you know, confident, courageous, um, competent, and eventually you would get to knowledgeable that there is this certain set of knowledge or this basis of knowledge that I have. And that makes me a leader, which is 
is good and bad. Uh, it's good because it gives us something to aim for, you know, get educated, understand, cre- yeah, you know, yeah. learn more. The downside is there's a lot of people sitting back and waiting that feel like I, I, I want to step out and learn how to grow my influence. I want to step out and create something, start something, build something, move something forward. But I don't know enough about it to do that. And that is a that is something from the past. In the future, we cannot rely on what we know or don't know in order to feel like more of a leader. And there's a whole bunch of reasons why, but that's the, I, uh, that's the place I, I always start. I read something the other day. Somebody was saying uh, that the project manager, a really good project manager in an organization is like a mini CEO. Because they oh, have wow. to know so many things, manage so many things, deal with so many fires. And I think that's probably like a miniature COO if I'm getting really like critical on it. But um, if we think about it in that terms, I hear you saying kind of the same thing. The, the project manager may not be the one that knows all the intricacies of all the things that have to happen, but they are the one to lead that project. Exactly. And it speaks to, uh, well, number one, it speaks to how much information is constantly being created. Uh, you turned me on to, is it Kevin Kelly's book, Inevitable, I believe, where he, oh, yeah. where he fleshes out the 12 most significant technological changes. Yeah. One of the things he talks about in that book is that we are all going to be perpetually stuck in the noob state, that the amount mm. of updates, the amount of information being created, the amount of technology that's being uh, invented or developed, you can't stay up on everything. I mean, I had to ask somebody the other day, you know, they kept saying, well, you just need to put a link tree, put a link tree in your Instagram, put a link tree in your Instagram. (laughs) And I had to be like, hey, I'm sorry. This makes me feel like an idiot. I feel like a moron for having to ask this, but can you tell me what a link tree is, right? Because (laughs) I, and, 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 and what we do oftentimes is we, when we either don't ask because we feel like, well, I should know that, or we ask it and then disqualify ourselves from, oh, well, I guess I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready yeah. to be a leader because I don't know what a link tree is. And the truth is you can't keep up. It is impossible to keep up with the amount of change. We are going to be perpetually stuck in this noob state and we have to just accept it. And, and in a way we have to own it. And I yeah, don't, so is there that's a, not always is there easy. A, is there a trick here? Like, a men- like what's the, what's the mentality mm. that we have that helps us break? Thanks through? for asking, Binge. <laughs> that's no uh yes are you gonna tell me yeah just read the book and you'll get your answer <laughs> no well that no i love that you're asking that because you're like okay get to what do we do which is so great i mean that's what the chapter does on it but i think these these three words i don't know uh, and i know it's four words except for that beautiful contraction that's making do not into don't but i i don't know are three words that great leaders have to have on ready in the future And there was a day where if you said, I don't know, you felt like you weren't a leader. You felt like you don't have what it takes. And we have to not only accept it, but we have to celebrate saying it because those three words, I don't know, it does, uh, it does quite a bit for us. Um, can I, can I read real quickly, binge this? Um, there's this quote that I use from John Mulaney. Are you, are you a fan of his comedy? Well, I'm a fan of comedy. Okay. Well, John Mulaney was a writer for Saturday Night Live for a while. I like all yeah. of his stand-up um, specials, but I, he, he talked about this, and I thought, um, ooh, when I I was in the middle of writing about it, when I bumped into this little um, section of one of his stand-up 
specials. He says in elementary school, it doesn't matter what you know. It just matter. excuse me, it doesn't matter what you think. It just matters what you know. You have to have answers to questions. And if you say, I don't know, you get an X on your test and you get it wrong. And that's not fair because your brain has never been smaller. And also that's not how life works. If you came to me now and you were like, hey, John, name three things the Stamp Act of 1765 accomplished. <laughs> I'd go, I don't know, get out of my apartment. But when you're a little kid, you can't say, I don't know. And you should be able to. That should be an acceptable answer on a test. You should be able to write in, I don't know. I know you told me, but I've had a very long day. I am very small and I have no money. <laughs> and so you can imagine the kind of stress I'm under. I, I love that little bit that he has. And obviously... I'm not advocating for kids being able to say, I don't know on a test. They should have to say the answer to whatever the question is, or that they should be encouraged to. But as a leader, uh, if number one, if you aren't willing to do that, if you don't have that on ready, you're going to end up faking. You're going to end up being a phony. And that is extremely, that's always been dangerous, but that is more dangerous today than it has ever been before. Yeah. There's a level of vulnerability to say, I don't know. Right? Yes. Yes. You, you just sparked to me. I think I know when I learned this lesson, I was mm, in college and I was designing websites and this uh, computer science guy who lived across the hall in the dorm was building them for me. And I, I got into a conversation with him where I said, like, how do you know all this? Like everything I throw at you, like there's, you got to know something new. And he said, he said, Benj, the best engineers don't know the answers. They, the best engineers know how to figure it out. And I was there like, you go. Oh, world-class Googling. That's the key. There to you go. That's right. That's right. And the thing it does, Binge, when you're, when you're uh, in, in a job, in a role, whether you're leading a small business, whether you're leading a team in a small business, yes, it, 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 it allows you to be authentic and real. Um, it, it does take vulnerability. And it also, it extends an invitation to the people around you. And that, to me, is one of the most attractive things you can do as a leader is to invite other people in, is yeah. to say, hey, I recognize my limitations and I'm not going to fake it in an area that I don't know. In fact, I'm going to admit what I don't know. And by doing so, I'm inviting you to bring your strengths, to partner yes. them with my weaknesses. I'm going to bring my strengths and partner with your weaknesses. And together, we're going to do something really significant. I think it is, It's all, again, it's always been important, but this is crucial for anybody who's wanting to lead in the future. Hey listener, if you're loving this episode, we've got an idea for you. Check out the One Next Step podcast. One Next Step is hosted by Belay CEO, Trisha Shortino and CFO, Lisa Zeveld. They're serving up weekly episodes with actionable business tips and tools from fantastic guests like Damon John, Michael and Megan Hyatt, Chris Walker, and more. They cover everything from how to leverage your executive assistant to three tools to unlocking your leadership potential to what do you do if you can't hire a CFO? And every week they even offer a free resource like Belay's latest ebook, Delegate to Elevate. In it, you'll learn how to accomplish more by juggling less. So head to belaysolutions.com forward slash delegate. Download your free copy of that today. Now, let's get back to today's conversation. love that. I love ending on that note. It's an opportunity to invite other people's strengths into the conversation. What's number two? Number two, numero deuce, uh, get the right people on the bus and a few who aren't so right. 
Oh. Get the right people on the bus and a few who aren't so right. So, right, so I, I just went, duh. Wait, what? Exactly. Right. Come and on. I felt so, you know, this took a lot of courage for me to publish this because I, this was my moment to take on the Godfather himself, Jim Collins. So Good to Great <laughs> was released 20 years ago. It sold millions and millions of copies, but he coined that phrase, get the right people on the bus, which it, I mean, truthfully, it is a phenomenal phrase. I mean, you just say it and you it, it's portable, it's sticky, it's memorable. Yeah. You just know exactly what it means. The challenge is, is that 20 years ago, uh, I think the definitions of those words were different than what they may be today, specifically the word right. Get the right people on the bus. I would say 20 years ago, for me at least, and this is where I, I, I feel very cautious about this. I would never accuse anyone else of doing this, but I'll speak from my own experience. Right for me 20 years ago meant same, mm. get the same people on the bus. And there is obviously value to that. There's value to chemistry. There's value to being able to work with people that get your culture. But the danger is, is that it, we take people who might actually be the ones that are going to help us get where we need to get and we move them off the bus or we fail to invite them onto the bus because we label them as wrong. So some examples would be um, people that are different, obviously aren't wrong. And I mean, different as in maybe different gender, different race, different education background di from a different part of the world, uh, different age. Um, if we're going to make the kinds of decisions we need to make, we need people that see the world very differently that are sitting around the table. Uh, Abraham Lincoln's phenomenal example of this. I mean, he he chose the. I'm staring at the book Doris Kearns Goodwin's Team of Rivals, but he runs against these people, defeats them in the race for president, and then invites them onto his cabinet. Unheard of. I mean, imagine power Joe move. Biden yeah. power exactly, and imagine Joe Biden inviting Donald Trump on his cabinet. Right? I mean, he wouldn't do it, and he wouldn't even say yes. I mean, imagine Donald Trump inviting. Hillary Rodham Clinton on his cabinet. I mean, it just, it just wouldn't happen. And, it, and it, it didn't happen then either, except for Abraham Lincoln being courageous enough to say, these people see the world different than I see the world. And I need their perspective because they represent a significant portion of our country. And so they helped him craft the Emancipation Proclamation, when to roll it out, how to roll it out, uh, what it was going to say. And in, in such a profound way that it actually changed something significant in our country. So we have to watch out for different. Different's not wrong. Driven is not wrong. A lot of times we label people that are driven as overly ambitious or and, – and there is selfish ambition, which is dangerous. But sometimes the most driven people are the ones that unlock the ideas that can help us get to the future. I mean – you know, our, our mutual friend, Robbie Engel is a good example of this. Uh, you know, there's a lot mind. of organization. Are you serious? Absolutely. When you said that, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of organizations that would say, nah, he's too, he's bucking the system. He's too driven. He's too ambitious, but he is the, you know, Jack Welch used to call this edge that it's the kind of person that's not just trying to improve something, you know, plus or minus 5% every year. It's the person that's going, no, 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 no. Here's a different way to do it that's going to lead to 20% growth, right? Um, he, he's that kind of guy, and, and it can be disruptive. But I have found those people are challenging to me, but i got to have them around me because they make me better. Um, I would also say difficult to manage is not wrong. Um, there was a guy that I managed in one job. I freed up his future. He went and worked for a different part of the organization. Five years later, I changed jobs, and I'm now managing him again. 
Mm-hmm. And so we sit in our first one-on-one meeting going, well, this is awkward. You know, <laughs> what are we going to do now? <laughs> and what I realized is that the things that I thought were difficult to manage in him were actually things in me that needed to change. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, his difficulty was bumping into something that was a growth area for me. And five years prior to this, I was unwilling to face it. Fortunately, I had the second go around that kind of allowed me to uh, see it in a new way. And, and it helped me grow in a way that I wouldn't have grown in. So get the right people on the bus and a few who are not so right. So, so I, I want to move on, but I want to ask this one question because, and I don't know if there's an answer here or if it's just the obvious, but you know, when we work with leadership teams and we talk about when we define the right, um, the right people on the bus, Mm -hmm. I think, I think what you're talking about is really important. So I'm not negating that at all. Like there's a whole separate conversation of like, how do we get the different on the bus? Mm -hmm. But when we define right, it's usually a values conversation. So, and, and the values, don't you have three that you encourage people to pay attention to? Yeah, mo- yeah, three to four. Most of our company like dial oh, in. Oh, based what on the- what they value. Yes, 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 yes. They're yeah, got it, got it, as got an it, organization. Got this is what they value, and and that's how a that's how an organization takes on a personality. You know, is is through those values because they look in a certain way, they act a certain way, they treat each other a certain way, and usually that's defined by the values. So I think maybe I'm processing my own question. I think we want as much different as we can get within what we've defined as the most, the, the non negotiable values of the organization. Is that fair? Yeah. And, and I do see the, I see the, the challenge or the rub of what you're talking about. What I would say is I would question our ability to even assess whether or not that person fits the values because I, I just know for me, I am so much more likely to ascribe more potential to someone who looks like me, is around my same age, was educated like me, came from a similar family that I came from, similar part of the country that I came from. It's just in me to do that. And so I would, I just know I'm, I I just say, I would say leaders that are using that system say, hey, pick your values and that's the way you should assess whether or not a person is a fit or not. I would just do as much as you can to look in the mirror and go, Am I able to be objective in this? Mm. Because what ends up happening is you end up surrounding yourself. And, and, and I, I, we have all seen this for years. I mean, where I learned this is from Frank, Frank Blake, who was the former CEO of Home Depot. Frank Blake said, I would go to a team that looked the same at Home Depot and I would go, you got six months, fix it. Because what they had unintentionally done is they had selected people under the guise of they fit our values, but they just so happened to look the same, talk the same, educated the same, come from the same background. And so I would question our ability to be objective in assessing people's fit around those values. Man, and I that, think the more we can do to challenge ourselves, the better. That, I think that is exactly what it is. It's just a great challenge. Hey, podcast listeners, this is System and Soul coach Michelle Krulchak here to share a tip with you today that I give to my clients working to gain clarity and control of their businesses. The first phase of working with a leadership team starts by helping them get really articulate with the vision, mission, and values of the business. It's about getting everything out of their heads and aligned as a team. But the real magic happens when an organization puts in the same time and energy into pulling it through the rest of the organization. 
you help everyone clearly see what you can see and clearly understand their part in helping make it all happen. With clarity comes excitement, engagement, commitment, and probably the most important thing of all, trust. Mind you, it's easier said than done, but it pays off in spades when it happens. I hope you find this tip helpful. Enjoy the rest of the podcast. All right, what's number three? Number three is conflict never goes away. It never goes perfect, but it's always worth it. So conflict is, you know, I I had this chapter I wanted to do, Benj, around conflict, and I thought, well, conflict's not new, right? But I would say it is, if it was important before, it is essential now that Every leader has had to deal with more conflict in the past two years than they had dealt with in the past five years because of the way the world has changed. So a couple of things are happening. Number one, yesterday's taboo topics are now interview questions. So there was a day where you wouldn't talk about sexual orientation, gender identity, racial reconciliation. You wouldn't talk about that at work. And now people are asking questions about, hey, what's your view on that in the interview? And I'm going, what is your name again? Like, I don't even know you. And we're about to dig into this really complicated, multi-layered, and you want me to have a 30-second answer to this. So work is just getting uh, the the line between what you would say, oh, I I could talk about that with my friends, but I'm not going to talk about that at work. That's getting so much more blurry because of the news cycle, because we see these issues now is they're more integrated into our everyday life, including work as well. And then secondly, we're not getting better. We're, we're, we're actually, as a society, we are uh, growing less mature, not more mature on handling conflict. A so there was a day, percent. I mean, the, the way people handle it now is figure out what you think Go find other people that think the same way, retreat to your corner, and then lob bombs over social media to people who think differently than you. And that's um, obviously there's better ways to handle it, right? I mean, we've got kids that are growing up with helicopter parents where they've never had to have some of the harder conversations that you and I may have had. This is where I feel like a you know grandpa going like, we walked to school know, in the snow. I and <laughs> we got but I mean, you quick. talked to... Um, the Jonathan Haidt wrote a book called the coddling of the American mind, remarkable book, but he tells story after story of HR executives and Dean of admissions at schools who would go, you know, we accepted a kid into the school or we offered a 24 year old a job. And the 24 year old said, before I say yes to this, would you mind having a conversation with my mom? I mean, can you even imagine? No, nope. <laughs> I mean, I laugh now, I because I know it's true, though. I've, I have heard it is these true. stories, right? Yes. So yeah, we are not becoming better at conflict. We're becoming worse. But so here's, we're, I'm, but we're I'm having gonna hijack this. Cur- I'm going to hijack this conversation. Go for it. Clay, tell me. We'll just turn this into therapy because that's what podcasts are, free therapy. Uh, what do we do as leaders when we have mostly younger – I don't know. That's though. right. There's some, there's some boomers that are like this, too. But Totally. They, they can't. They just shrivel up under feedback. They want, they desperately want it, but That's they good. can't yep. handle it. Yeah. Well, there was a day where I built trust if I was honest. And now there's this societal desire or definition of trust that we're, 
we will build trust if you promise not to hurt me. And oftentimes the feedback feels like hurt or rejection. And so we go, well, then I can't trust you because you told me something hard. Yes. Yeah. Right. So yeah, I think feedback's like the most loving thing you could do. I mean, you're the only person that's cared enough to tell them. I mean, it's right. remarkable that you're willing to. So I give a, I give a four step plan. I'm, I'm like, look, you're going to have more of it. You got to get better at it. No matter where you are, you have to become a black belt at having conflict because the world is filled with more of it and we're not getting better at it as a society. So affirm, we affirm what's true about the other person, affirm what you can say. I like working with you. I care about you. I believe in you. Create safety. Safety is the most essential ingredient in any hard conversation. Number two, would you ask some strategic questions? Because there's something you don't know. Yes. So before you give the feedback, there's yes. something you don't know. There's there's something going on in their life. There's something, the way they see the world, that if you understand, it doesn't make what you are about to tell them wrong. It just is going to help you contextualize it. And so would you ask some questions? How long has it been this way? What's your greatest fear? What is it going to cost if we were to change this? Uh, where did you, when did you develop this philosophy and how long have you thought about it? So whatever that question is, would you ask? And you have to assume that there's something you don't know. And if you knew it, it would help you understand it. Then you acknowledge, number three, affirm, ask, acknowledge. That's just closing the loop. And then number four, then you advise or then you offer the feedback or then you tell your boss, well, would we be willing to try this for three months? Would you be willing to let me give this a shot? Because I believe that it's that important to our clients. Yeah. So that process, and obviously it's not going to make it go perfect, but the only two things you can control, number one, you can control the order in which you go through. Most people advise, and when you do that first, you end up having to acknowledge you were wrong, ask for forgiveness and affirm you still like your job. <laughs> and then the second thing you can, you can control is the amount you prepare. If you put 10 minutes of thought into those four things, yeah. it would help you so much more to give you some emotional stability, uh, to give you a better frame of mind, to give you, uh, to know exactly what you want to say, what you don't want to say. Uh, you can control the order and the preparation. And if That's you so would, good. it will help it go so much better. We, we spend 10 minutes worrying, but not prepping. <laughs> that's right so just switch, just use that time worry and just switch it that's right that's all right. right clay awesome hanging out with you fast-paced conversation but you got three books you got a podcast you got an email newsletter tell us where to go to find all that uh ClayScroggins.com is the easiest thing to do. Yeah, there's a weekly, I send out some, what, what I'm trying, you, you know, everybody's trying to carve out their own space of what they're trying to send that's helpful. I, mine is based around three things, leadership, levity, and links. And so I like things that are humorous, comical. It's amazing how people sometimes comment on the leadership stuff, but they almost, if they comment, it's usually about the levity. It's about whatever stupid, funny thing that I'm passing along. So yeah, go sign up, be a part of it. How to lead podcast. Uh, where you can get your podcasts. Um, but more than that, I'm grateful for System and Soul. Um, I used it for a couple of years uh, when I was leading a team and it was massively impactful. And so I'm, I, I wish you all the best. Thanks for taking your spotlight, putting it on me for a few minutes. Oh, you're so worthy. Clay, appreciate your time hanging out with us. See you next time. Yep. Thanks, Benjamin. <laughs>